Lord, we lift up Matthew and Susan, Randy and Kelly as they come before us to share your good news, to share how you have taught them and shown them trust in you. Allow us to hear, Lord, what you want us to hear. Calm their nerves, give them a clear, strong voice, Lord, and may all the words that they share come from you. In your son's name, amen. So first we're going to have Matthew Scott talk about biblical trust, true biblical trust, not the false biblical trust, but true <laughs> biblical trust. And Matthew, you know, does our stewardship lesson now, and I'm always amazed at the little pieces of information he can pull out and that I don't typically pay attention to, but then brings a whole new meaning to what God is saying. So let's hear what Matthew has to share for us. Right. <laughs> Hello. We're on, a, we're on a timetable today, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move through this here. So the only instruction I was given for this was Herb said, you're going to talk about true biblical trust. Now you might say, and surely you got more instruction than that. No. <laughs> surely, surely Herb had something in mind or maybe some verses you wanted to no. know. He just said, you're going to talk about true biblical trust. You got 10 minutes. I'm like, okay. So I, I want to start out here with just some verses I picked that at first, they, they might seem to be about something other than trust, but I, I'm hoping to be able to tie them all together and show that this is what biblical trust is all about. So we're starting the Old Testament in Jeremiah with this. Oh, that's not right. Oh. <laughs> um, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? What I want to talk about today is that trust, true biblical trust, is about that assurance that nothing is too hard for God. That that the trust, when we talk about true biblical trust, is this concept of we're surrounded by so much confusion and, and hardship, but we can trust that the Lord is, has, has it under control. If we jump to the Gospels, we have some quotes from Jesus. Luke 1, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Matthew nineteen twenty six, but Jesus looked at them and said, "With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible." Mark eleven twenty four, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now that is a verse that a lot of Christians read that verse and they get the very wrong message from it. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it; it will be yours. Name it and claim it, but. It's about trust. It's about walking a step with God. It's about this understanding that our problems seem so big, but God is so much bigger. Back in the Old Testament, Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. So that's kind of the companion verse of that Mark 11, believe that you receive it and it will be yours. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will act. So it's not just asking for whatever you want and hoping God will give it to you. That commit your way to the Lord is the important part there. So let's get, I'm going to squeeze in a little bit of audience participation here. So I'm going to go through a Bible story here. I'm going to go through a Bible story about trust. So what, who, who am I about to talk to? Who's, 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 who are the trust people in the Bible? Daniel, Daniel that's a good one. Abraham, that's a, that's a very good one. Hmm? Gideon, see, he's, he's ahead of me. That's, you, you got it. <laughs> I have Esther, yes, yes. I, had, um, I have Jonah and Job. Job is a, is a very powerful one. Um, Mary, we, it's not a very long story with Mary, but certainly that's going to tie, think about Mary as I go through my story today because she's very relevant. The 12 disciples, how often Jesus challenged them to trust and they didn't understand why. And then, of course, Paul and the apostles, how often they were thrown in jail and martyred and how, how hard that would have been. So, like Don said, I'm going to go through the story of Gideon here. Um, and I, I, just, I just think this is such a powerful illustration. This is one of my favorite, favorite Bible stories. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with uh, Judges chapter 6, here where the story is. When the, so we pick up here, Israel is being occupied by the Midianites. They are, in, in, in the previous verses, they're talking about how, how the Jewish people are living in caves. They've been, they've been driven out of their homes, and the Midianites have totally conquered the land of Israel. And so here in Judges chapter 6, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on the account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. That There towards the end. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites. Now, if you are a Jewish person living in Israel at the time, you'd be like, what do the gods of the Amorites have to do here? They've got swords, we're living in caves. <laughs> but back in the Gospels, Jesus says, there is no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So this, is, this right here, this is what I am here claiming. This is what biblical trust is all about. This, this, this idea that fear is the opposite of biblical trust, that this confusion and anxiety, that if you have the assurance in God that God can do anything, you shall not fear. Continuing on with the story. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is in with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. And the angel of the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. That, that is such a powerful verse. Gideon says, where, where is God right now? God has forsaken us. My, our fathers and grandfathers talk about this mighty deed of the Exodus, but right now everything seems hopeless. How do you plan on getting us out? And the angel of the Lord's like, I just told you, <laughs> you're going to get us out. And Judges chapter six talks about how Gideon feels so lowly. He is he is of a weak a weak tribe. He is a farmer. He's he uh, when the, when the angel comes to him, his his perspective of himself is. There's no way that I can do this. Like, yeah, sure, God can do this. Yeah, sure, the Israelites have conquered conquered other other nations before. Surely God and the Israelites can do this. But I can't do this. Biblical trust is that ability to say, it doesn't matter what I can do. God's going to do what God's going to do. And if God wants to use me, then I'm going to let myself be used. I'm going to go through this next section here. Um, Gideon right, right, destroys a, a, a altar of Baal uh, uh, under the orders of the angel of the Lord, and the, there were Israelites worshiping in this altar. And they say to Baal, they, they say to Gideon, they're like, "You can't just destroy this altar of Baal. We were worshiping there. You're you're going to be beheaded now." And Gideon gives this divinely inspired speech of, "If Baal is worth worshiping, then why are you going to behead me? Let Baal defend himself." <laughs> and that leads into Gideon managing to raise up an army. And at this point, Gideon's like, all right, we got 22,000 guys now. That's still less than the Midianites have, but at least now I'm not doing this by myself. At least now I have 22,000 men behind me who are all fired up about this. And then the Lord says to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. <laughs> They're already outnumbered 10 to 1. And the Lord says, the people who are with you are too, are too many. He says, go around the camp and Anyone who is fearful, send them home. Immediately, half the people go home. And then the Lord says, there's still too many people. 10,000, that's too many. He says, we're going to do a test. Send the men down to the river. The men who drink with their mouths, send them home. The men who drink with their hands, they can stay. Out of the men, the vast majority of them drink with their tongues. They, they kneel down at the river. And, now, and after that and one more test, only 300 men remain. So now you have Gideon, who's like, all right, we've got 22,000 men. We're outnumbered 10 to 1, but we can do it with 22,000 men. Now there's 300 men. And the God says, perfect. <laughs> That's biblical trust. You, how, how are you going to say, we're going to fight an army of 100,000 with 300 men? God says it's not going to be a challenge. Judge, Judges chapter 7 says that the Midianites and Am Amakites uh, number like locusts. So many more than 22,000. But hopefully, hopefully you all know how the story ends. Gideon takes his 300 men, he gives them all trumpets, and they step, up into the they step up above the valley where the Midianite army is, 
and under the order of the Lord, they blow their trumpets, and through through divine intervention, the Midian army becomes so scared, so frightened by this tiny force of 300 men that they draw their swords against each other because they think they're being attacked. The th- Gideon's three companies blew their trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. The army fled. Gideon, every step of the way, was saying to God, I believe you can do this, but I don't believe I can do this. And in the end, God, God was with Gideon, and Gideon had enough trust to be able to put aside his doubts and follow the orders. It would have been so easy for Gideon to say, when he, when he sees all those men drinking down by the river, he's like, ooh, maybe I'm going to keep the 8,000 men instead of the 1,000 men. <laughs> but he did what the Lord said, and in the end, it all worked out. So again, back back to um, John, First John chapter four. This is what I'm saying: biblical trust is. If you just want to skip back to that, Shannon, this is what I'm saying: biblical trust is. There is no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear. With God, we have nothing to fear, and when God asks us to do something, we need to put aside our human nature, we have to put aside what we believe we are capable of doing, and and simply obey, and simply move where He tells us to move, even if it doesn't make sense to us at the time. Thank you, Matthew. Haven't we all been there at times, right? That we know we need to do something and we know that there's no way we can do it on our own. But when we trust God, he brings us through and we're still amazed, right? (laughs) Still going, wow, look what God did. And that's what Matthew was sharing. That's a great story of Gideon. Okay, next we have Susan. And Susan, I just love you. Do you know... That and I, we have some new people here. Didn't Susan greet you when you first came in? Didn't she sit down and have a chat with you and make you feel like you were welcomed? And not only that, she makes you feel like you're the only person here that she wants to talk to. And so that is such a great gift. And she's got a great story about um, a picture of us with God together that she's going to share. can't be like Matthew and do it off the cuff. I have to have notes. <laughs> and uh, casting out all those fears, right? I have to trust God through all this. Uh, well, how many of you would have ever thought that I would be standing up here at the time of a sermon? <laughs> I think God works in mysterious ways. And that brings us to an interesting question when we are talking about trusting God. If God's ways and thoughts are mysterious and higher than our ways and thoughts, what does trusting God look like? If you were Indiana Jones and standing at the edge of a cliff and told to step forward, it would require you to trust God for protection. If you sensed God calling you to sell everything you had, and go to another country and be a missionary, it would require you uh, to trust in God's provision. Or if uh, God asked you to do the impossible, like Jesus asking Peter to come and walk on the water, it would require you to put aside that fear and trust him. Twenty-nine and a half years ago, my husband had a brain aneurysm, and the prognosis was not good. I laid on my daughter's couch, sobbing uh, to the point where I couldn't breathe. It was beyond um, what I could bear. And the Lord said to me, take a breath. And so I took a deep breath and started sobbing again. And he said, take another breath. He wanted me to know that in this traumatic, fearful moment, He was there, and it required me to trust him. These scenarios are scary and uh, create all this fear within us. 
They require a deep faith to surrender our ways, our thoughts, our fears, and trust in God's goodness and his mercy. But the other day, God showed me a different uh, kind of picture of trusting God. So I'm here today to tell a story, to paint a picture, um, what it feels like to surrender and trust when life is difficult and when we are tired and cranky and weary and don't know what to do, to trust the one who holds our hand. I was watching my two great-grandchildren. Addie is 16 months old, and Micah is four years old. And um, they were going to go shopping, taking my five-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter shopping for those Christmas boxes, get gifts for that. And they knew that Addie would not stay in the shopping cart, and they certainly didn't want her down on the floor because she'd be running all over the place touching everything. So that wasn't a good option. And Micah chose playing with Gigi, I'm Gigi, uh, rather than shopping. And so I was pleased and excited to have uh, the time with both of them. We ate lunch and then played for a while, and Addie became tired and fussy and weary. And I knew that she would not just lay down on a bed and go to sleep. Uh, so I turned the TV on, and I found a children's uh, program. We sat on the couch, and I put my arm around her to make her feel safe and secure. Uh, she was as still as a mouse and could not, did not move. But I knew she wasn't asleep, kind of like in that twilight zone. Micah came out, and he joined us and sat beside um, Addie. And all was calm, and all was quiet. And suddenly... Addie's small, tiny fingers started to move up and down, almost like she was playing a piano. Slowly, her hand started to move toward Micah, very slowly, almost searching. Her, hand, her head and her body did not move. Only that tiny little hand with her fingers searching for a place of comfort. She found Micah's hand and held on to him. He gently stroked the top of her hand. It warmed my heart to see that kind of tenderness between two children. I can express to you the awe and the wonder of that quiet, gentle love. But then... After a couple of minutes, Addie's other hand started moving, fingers moving up and down in search of another hand, my hand. The movements were slow, and the rest of her body was completely still. She found my hand, and she held it tight. She was now content and felt safe and she fell asleep. There was this sweet surrender as she trusted um, that we would be there when she woke up. Uh, Shant, you got the picture up, I thank you. Um, so there are times in our lives when we struggle to trust God based on our fears and our shortcomings. We frantically pray Lord, I need help. Lord, protection. Lord, direction, healing, financial issues. Lord, help, help, help. And we get frantic because we fear the things that we face. But then there are other times when our trust is based on that inner childlike um, peace and confidence. We surrender to the one who has the power and the authority over us and over our circumstances. In Mark 10, 14 to 15, Jesus blesses the children and says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, will never enter it. The footnotes on that verse say that 
Adults are not trusting as little children. Uh, to feel secure, all children need is a loving look and gentle touch from someone who cares. Complete uh, intellectual understanding is not one of their requirements. They believe us if they trust us. Jesus wants us to believe in him with a childlike kind of faith and trust. We do not have to stand all, understand all the mysteries of the universe. It should be enough to know that God loves us, and when we trust him and commit our lives to his tender guidance, he will meet our needs. So I ask you this morning, can you relate to this picture uh, in your relationship with Jesus? Are you uh, pleased and excited to spend time with him? Do you long for that kind of affection and assurance with your heavenly Father? Do you find comfort and contentment in his presence? Are you confidently trusting in God's peace, his power, and his presence? Are you ready to trade that intellectual trust for a sweet surrender trust? Thank you. That was really good, Susan. Thank you so much for sharing what visuals you gave us. I have seen Indiana Jones, and yes, haven't I been at the edge of a cliff looking and knowing that God's telling me to jump? And I'm scared. Um, but, we <laughs> but I jump anyway, because I trust God. But, and then just the description of your little <coughs> granddaughter and your grandson reaching out. Um, we all still also need those quiet times with God where we can just reach out, and his hand is right there, right there ready for us to grasp. Um, we just have to have that faith and that trust and belief to reach our hand out to him, and he'll grasp it and get us through those difficult times. Next up, we have um, Randy Stevens. I don't know much to say about him <laughs> that I would share with you up front. Uh, <laughs> no, Randy is definitely a man of God and somebody that trusts in God with his, with his whole life, his whole heart. And you're going to enjoy the story he has to share with you because, well, I lived it too, so... <laughs> The scripture that I, I'm starting out with is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and he will turn away from, turn to, I'll look there, my note, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now leave that up. And this is from the message. This morning when I was going over this, God said, go to the message. I want you to read the message, but leave the, the ESV up there. So from the message, a translation, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do everywhere you go. He is the one who's going to keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will grow, glow and with health, and your very bones will vibrate with life. Trusting God when it seems ris risky. Had so many risky things in my life, but picture this. Back in 2012, at my corporate job at the time, we got a new department lead. Now, this department lead decided that he wanted to interview everybody just to see where they were, what they did, all that good stuff. Some of you probably have been through this. So this new supervisor said, you know, after our talk, he goes, so where do you see yourself in five years? And without missing a beat, I said, I don't see myself here at this company in five years. 
You should have seen Terry's face when I come home and told her that. But I said, as I told him, that my wife and I are ordained ministers, and I see God doing something different in my life that's going to free me to do his work. So in five years, I don't see myself here. I come home and told Terry that, and she goes, you did what? (laughs) And I told her what I did. But it, it was something that God just placed on my heart to say that. You know, I had trust that God's going to take care of me no matter what. But then it got even riskier. In 2015 at our company, that supervisor moved on to a different area. We were bought out by another company. Now, I've been through, I think, seven buyouts, mergers, takeovers in my corporate life. And I trusted God through all those. And even in this last one, I trusted God. But in 2015, we were to sign this agreement that was a little crazy. I wasn't comfortable signing the agreement. Terry and I prayed about it. She wasn't comfortable me signing the agreement. So I decided not to sign the agreement, trusting that God was going to be there. Had During that time, had many vice presidents of the company come and see me and say, don't do anything. We're trying to get this ironed out, this agreement, because we know it's got some sticking parts on it. I said, no problem. God's got it under control. Come the end of June... We were, were supposed to turn in this sign agreement. Nothing happened. So the first week of July, right after the July break, I was called into my supervisor's office. And he go, she goes, um, I need you to come in the office. I come down to her office, and there was an HR person in the office. She had a, a fresh copy of the, <laughs> of the agreement. We need you to sign this, or we need you to leave. And if you leave you're not allowed to file unemployment because it's called voluntarily termina- voluntary termination because you've not accepted the terms of the company. You're going to be terminated and you can't face un- or can't get unemployment. I said, no problem. I'm not signing it. They go, then you need to leave. I left. <laughs> I said, we'll make arrangements to get my personal stuff, but they needed me out of the building right then and there. I did as, as I was going to my cube, I picked up my coat, and my, my cube buddy, um, a very good Christian friend of mine, we've, um, I trained him up, and I said, and he knew what could happen. I said, I said, Sal, I'm gone. I'll talk to you later. And I walked out, and everybody seen me walk out. And he started asking Sal what was, what was happening. And God said, Randy's gone. Well, what's he going to do? And Sal told him, God's going to provide for him. Randy trusts in God, and God's going to provide for him. And that's what I did. I trusted God. I come home. I tr- on the way home, I called Terry. Couldn't get her on the house phone. Couldn't get her on the cell phone. And she was nowhere to be found. <laughs> I wanted to share the news that I was no longer employed, and we were waiting on what next thing God was going to take us to. And God was going to take us to a new direction. See, I've always wanted to maybe work for myself, free up my time instead of being a corporate. But it wasn't always in God's timing. But I trusted God that everything was going to be in his timing. So through all this, even going into what are we going to do that first week, I didn't, that next day I didn't work. I already had work to do. I already had something to do. We've never missed a paycheck. Not a, I can't say a paycheck. We've never missed paying a bill. We've never missed not having food because God has provided each and every time down the way. Even though it was risky and first saying, I don't see myself here in five years. And in five years, even before five years, I wasn't even there. But saying that, but then sticking to my guns to say, This is what I'm going to do because I can't agree with this. But I'm going to stand on God that he's going to take me and he's going to let me trust in him and he's going to provide for me and my family through all this. That's what he did. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out things on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. 
and everywhere you go. And please don't assume you know it. <laughs> God does it. And that's where trust, that's where surrender comes. And God's got a great thing. We don't know where we're going from here, but we do know where God's going to take us is going to be good because it's got to be good, right? Thank you. <laughs> that was a challenging time, sort of. Not really. Um, it, you know, sort of, but not really, exactly. That's where I find myself a lot. Yes, it's scary, but no, it's not. Um, and so, yes, when he said, shared with his boss that he was going to be out of there in five years, I'm like, you never tell that to your new boss. What are you thinking? He's like, well, God gave me the words. I said, okay, all right, then we'll see how God plays that out. And you, he talks about the expression on my face. Um, I was finally in the living room when he came home. And he walked up the steps, and we live in a split entry, so we have a banister. And he walked up with this huge grin, like something spectacular had just happened, and said, well, I'm unemployed. I just lost my job this afternoon. And I'm like, all right then. You don't have to really be that happy about it, do you? And he's like, this is going to be good. And we trust God, and it was good. He's right. We never missed anything. As a matter of fact, we were able to pay bills off because God has provided. He has never looked for work. The people that he has done work for has given na his name to other companies and said, this is who you need to do this job. And so it's never, there's never been advertising. There has never been a lack of work. Sometimes there's actually been a little too much work. Um, but God has provided all the way through from 2015 um, till now in 2023. And even when I let, decided to leave my job, I was like, what do you think? He's like, I think that's what God's telling you to do. So we're just, God's provided all this time. He's going to continue to provide. And so that was trusting God. Um, when it was risky, because as you all know, we need money, right? We need a paycheck. We need insurance and all of those things. But God provided and has provided so well, and we are so thankful. Um, all right, next up is Kelly Offerman. Uh, Kelly is going to talk to us about the warm brands and the model of loving God and trusting God and loving others as well. And Kelly did the uh, class with me on Sunday, and as soon as she first saw it, she immersed herself in it and had great insight, and that's what she's going to share with us, how they trusted God and how that relates to our lives as well. So this is an exercise in trust for me. Uh, not a big fan <laughs> of uh, speaking in front of everyone. Um, quick introduction for those who may not have been able to participate in the study story um, as of Richard Wormbrand. Uh, the movie Tortured for Christ uh, gives us a case study in trust uh, of the life of Richard. Uh, he was in Romania and thrown into communist prison, tortured and um, experienced all kinds of awful, horrible things in humanity. Um, one part of the movie, as we were watching it in our small group with Terry, um, the, end of, the end of, I think it was the second vignette, um, it got me really powerfully, uh, and such that when I was sitting here in service, I couldn't hear a single word Pastor Herb was saying, and all I could do was continue thinking and mulling over this thing that I just saw, and I'll talk to you about that in a little bit. But anyway, so the, the adventure that uh, Terry mentioned, um, I couldn't help myself when I went home at the end of, of service. I watched the rest of it. And then I read the audiobook. Read the audiobook? Listened to the audiobook. And then I noted that there was another movie, Sabina, and I watched Sabina. And then I started seeking out interviews with Richard Wormbrand because it seems it impressed upon me the character of this person. There was something that God was trying to show me, uh, trying to teach me through this story. And one of the things uh, that, that Richard said in one of those interviews that I thought was hilarious is uh, a church is a spiritual pub. If you enter sober, you should get out drunk. A sermon must make you sad, glad, or mad. 
Uh, that's my aim today. So while Pastor Herb is gone, let's get drunk. Um, so the, on that note, you know, one of the things that impressed upon me when he was called to speak at churches, uh, you know, sometimes Richard would be introduced and, and it would be, oh, here's Richard Wormbrand come to speak, a sad tale of a person who was in communist prison and tortured. And while, yes, it's sad, um, Richard's reaction to that was always, this is not a story of defeat. This is not a sad story. This is a story of the triumph of Jesus. Um, the power of Jesus and the power of love. Um, so as we go through some of my impressions, yes, there's some sad stories, and yes, there's a, a, an awful picture of what humanity can do in the face of evil. But the point is Jesus, and the point is what Jesus can do in a person. And I think that that is one of the takeaways from Richard of you see how he reacted and, and uh, how do we prepare ourselves to be like that? So there's three things that sort of spoke to me um, through this journey of Richard Wormbrand and his family that I went through. And the first is the value of preparation. Um, the building a foundation of trust in God, that it's active and continuous. Uh, it doesn't just happen by osmosis, right? So Matthew 7, 24, 25, uh, Jesus tells us that those who hear his words and do them, are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And I think that that just embodies Richard Wurfbrand. Um, that again, you know, you don't, you don't have the attitude of loving the person who's beating you, praying for his soul, and having pity on him that he doesn't know Christ in the moment, Right? That comes from a foundation that you've built, that you've continued building um, in doing, uh, doing the words of Jesus daily, actively, continuously. Um, one thing that really impressed upon me in the story was, you know, Richard knew the Bible so well. He had, he had, he had known, you know, he was reading Joshua and just uh, do not fear or variations of do not fear throughout Joshua. And it, and it prompted him to count how many times that happens in the Bible? And he identified 366 times. One for each day of the year, including leap year. The, in preparation, Richard had given himself an assignment each day to a verse. So he, he had correlated, okay, January 1st is this verse. For all of these do not fears. When he was captured, um, he asked his, his, the secret police in the, in the van, what day is it? And they told him February 29th. And how blessed is that, that God gave us 366 and not 365. And, um, and uh, the, the verse that he had correlated for that day is Psalm 56.3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Um, and in that way, in the van of the secret police, he knew that he was in the hand of Almighty God. And he had quiet in his soul. Um, do you have that kind of, of peace and trust? Like, can you imagine? Uh, but how, how much preparation gave him that assurance that God was with him? And without a strong foundation, many of Richard's Christian colleagues, they fell away under torture. Um, there is a story, and this is the story that really prompted me to have to keep going. Uh, was the story of, uh, of another pastor who was being tortured in prison and they couldn't get him to give up all of his Christian friends. So they brought in his son. Uh, and they beat his son in front of him until he screamed, I'll tell you anything. Uh, and then his son turns to his dad and says, you are not a traitor. Um, speak Jesus until you can't anymore or speak Jesus till the end. And the first thought that I had on that was, wow, what would I do? Uh, would I give up you and you and you and you and you for my son? But further, as I thought on it more, and this was all happening during church while Pastor Herb was speaking, sorry, Pastor Herb, I didn't hear a single thing you said. Um, when I thought on that further, 
you know, it's easy to say, well, what would you do? You put yourself in that shoe. But then I thought further, like, what a foundation that pastor had laid for his son, that that was his son's reaction, to encourage his dad in the face of being beat. And eventually he was beat to death in front of his father. That that would be his last word was to encourage his father in the faith. Um, that takes a lot of foundation building to produce a child who's going to act that way in, in the face of persecution. And so further then, that leads me to the question, am I laying that kind of foundation for my kids? Matthew 7, 26, 27 continues, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. How would your foundation fare in the kind of this hurricane? Would you find yourself built upon the rock, winning souls for Christ? Would that be your primary motivation? Or do you think that your house is built on the rock when really maybe it's a little sandy? Um, that was the first thing, the value of preparation. So I, I saw a theme in that that really spoke to me. And the second was that God calls us to aggressive love in the face of evil. And how does love of Christ look like in a communist prison? Well, many stories uh, that, that Richard told really just exemplify love um, and the way that God calls us in the Bible to love, to love our neighbors and to love our enemies. Um, Christian prisoners in solitary confinement um, was conditioned to where they had no um, outside anything. They couldn't see, there was no windows in the cell, it was dark. Um, the soldiers, the Russian soldiers, actually had felt on the bottom of their boots so that they wouldn't make any noise going down the hallways, just so they could disorient the prisoners uh, in complete solitude. Uh, but Christian prisoners knew Morse code, and they preached the gospel through Morse code by knocking on the walls to each other. And Richard says, in that way, people came to Christ. How amazing the tools that God can use through you. Richard also, and others, spoke the gospel to guards between beatings. Um, so in, in reading and listening to all these stories, you know, these guards were beating prisoners for eight hours a day. They got tired. They had to take breaks. So in between, when they were taking breaks, you had Richard and others that were speaking Christ to them, telling them how much Christ loved them. Would that be my reaction in that situation? Um, and one of the particular guards that he was speaking to was secretary to the Minister of the Interior. And after having beaten and listened to Richard one day, went home and was converted. Um, he ended up sneaking in a decree of pardon into a pile of work papers for the Minister of Interior to sign, 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 and freed Richard for a period of time. And that particular interrogator, I think, ended up being persecuted for his faith. Uh, but Richard said over and over again how much the Russians just needed God. You know, that, that they didn't have anybody to speak Jesus to them. They hadn't had availability of the Bible in their country for decades. There was no one there. Um, the how blessed he was to have the opportunity to speak Jesus to the Russians. Um, further, when he was released, he continued his underground work, uh, risking his freedom and ultimately landing him back in prison. Also, his wife was imprisoned. Um, apparently, especially with the women, the interrogators tried to sort of like bring you over with kindness first uh, and bribery. 
And so as they were trying to promise, oh, we'll put your son in the greatest of schools and you'll have comfort and, and we can give you all these things if you just give away all your Christian friends. <coughs> Sabina's response was amazing. So I'm going to share it. Um, she said, every man has a price to sell himself. Judah sold himself for 30 pieces of silver. Others sell themselves for material things. If you can offer me the right price, I'm ready to sell myself to you. I've already sold myself once to somebody who paid a very big price. It's the Son of God who left heaven, came on earth to be born in a stable, led a life of sorrows, was flogged and crucified for me, went to heaven and gives me forgiveness of all my sins, righteousness, joy, and an eternal paradise. If you can offer me more than that, I'm ready to sell myself to you. I love that response. Isn't that, isn't that an amazing? Um, and, and to have, you know, the opportunity to witness. I think, you know, one of the things impressed upon me was the greater the evil, the more aggressively love is required. Richard and Sabina were both committed to bringing Russians to Christ no matter the cost. And this kind of aggressive love is it's only required with extreme persecution, right? Like, do we have to show that kind of love to everybody all the time? Um, well, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, and I chose the NIV version. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In the face of a story like Richard Wormbrand's, when you read that, even though you've probably heard it a million times, it's really, uh, it hits home in a different way, or it did for me. And Richard said, the more we were mocked and tortured, the more pity and love we had for our torturers. We hate communism with all our heart, this devilish system of atheism, which must be defeated, but we love the men, and we asked ourselves how to win these men for Christ. First Peter 4.8 tells us, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Aggressive love was the second thing I took away. And the last was the perspective on giving thanks on all, in all circumstances. Um, I think few of us have, have encountered in our lives things as hard as, as probably what the Warren Brands faced. Um, not to diminish our own, our own struggles, but those are some hard, hard things to deal with. First Peter 4, 12 through 14 tells us, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And one thing that just impressed me about Richard, and especially looking through some of the interviews that he did, was just his perspective on life. You know, for, for many of us, I think, rightfully or justifiably so, would, would come out of that experience feeling defeated and broken. And, and you know, he came out with joy. Um, he never lost his joy, right? The perspective of giving thanks in all circumstances. Um. <laughs> Are you looking at me for time? I mean, I think Richard experienced the eternal present, presence of God in a way that few will ever know. One story uh, that I think was really kind of funny um, was in solitary confinement. Uh, Again, all you've got is God. Your family's gone. They're not feeding you. Uh, no other stimulation from the outside world. And Richard spoke of this time uh, as the most amazing time he ever spent with God and the nearest that he was ever with God. 
Um, so he would become so overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he would get up and just dance for joy. Uh, one time that happened and a guard saw him and thought he had gone crazy. Uh, so apparently with crazy people, the guards are instructed to react gingerly uh, so as to not disturb the peace of the prisoner. In this particular case, the guard brought him a big loaf of bread with cheese and sugar. And he thought of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.12, which says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. He thought, God gave me a little bit of that reward right now. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just want to end uh, with, with a quote from Richard Wormbrand, which I thought was really moving. Um, he said, they have tried to kill us. How stupid. They can kill only bodies. We are not bodies. We are spirit, and the spirit can't be killed. To die for Christ, loving Christ, means to go to glory, means to go to Christ. So really the takeaways here are those eternal perspectives and how we apply those in our lives on a daily basis. Um, I think that Richard Wormbrand really modeled what God tells us about those three areas, to giving thanks in all circumstances, um, aggressive love for our neighbors, for our enemies, and the power of preparation. Thank you. Let's wrap it up in prayer. See, I do talk loud, huh? Okay, let's wrap it up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so blessed and grateful that you've provided these four individuals and, and you've sourced them with truth and with grace to be able to come and present to us these beautiful representations of trust in you. Lord Father, we ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, would burn these truths into us so that as we face the issues in our lives where we require godly trust, you would provide us with that with the strength and the determination and the knowledge of your grace, that we could trust you as the people that have been explained to us today. I think of Gideon and I think of the Wormbrands and the stories that, that um, Randy and Susan told as well. Lord, give us that passion for you that we would face every circumstance in our lives with true trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.